Believe it or not, there are people suffering worse than you are. They're going through things that they'd trade places with you today. They would be so happy to be sitting right where you are this morning instead of where they are this morning. And so faith is always dependent on focus. If you're looking at yourself, you're discouraged. You can't help but be. If you're looking at your circumstance, you're going to be discouraged. You can't help but be. If you're looking away from yourself and your circumstance and looking to Jesus, you're going to be encouraged. And it's about focus. And we're, we're in a clay vessel. How many know you're still in a clay vessel? And this clay vessel doesn't want to look away. It wants to stay glued to self. You can't even follow Jesus that way. It's impossible. First prerequisite for being a disciple is deny yourself. Because you can't go to the second prerequisite without that. Take up your cross. Who, who's, going, who's going to crucify the flesh that is filled with looking for self-serving reasons to serve God? You can't do that. You take up your cross after you've denied yourself. And then, and only then, can you truly follow Jesus and call yourself a disciple. Amen. So I've, I've learned that a long, long, long time ago because I get the poor old me. Has anybody ever had them? They're hard to get rid of. There's nothing to inoculate you against it except crucifying your flesh because it's intrinsic it's innate to be self self-serving and selfish and and self-exalting and and it's all about me 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 someone said that when someone said i've been through this and i had that and i experienced this and i don't know and i i and someone said you've got eye trouble can you say man you've got serious eye trouble and it's not an optician you need it's to be able to do what we're instructed to do in the Word of God, looking unto Jesus. Lay aside every sin and wait. Not everything is a sin, but there are things in the way of serving God effectively. Lay aside every sin and the weight that does so easily beset you. Run with patience the race that is set before you, looking unto Jesus. I love the Amplified. brings out the Greek. It says, looking away. It's easy for me to look to Jesus when I'm in trouble, when I'm in need. You know what's hard? Looking away from all that will distract and setting your gaze upon Jesus. And one of the things that distracts is this, this, how can I put it, this absolute consciousness of our pressure, our problems, our pain. You see, if Pamela had focused on her pain instead of Christ's pain on the cross, there's nothing they could give her any more than they had given her for that pain. But the moment I prayed for her, I said, Jesus, she's in pain, and you of all people know what pain truly is because you felt pain like no one can imagine as you hung on that cross for us. And when she said, Jesus, your pain, my pain, is nothing compared to your pain. At that moment, Pamela looked away 
from the distraction of her pain. You can't ignore that, friend. You can't just pretend it doesn't exist. And she focused on his pain on the cross. And listen to that scripture. This is important today. We haven't even prayed, but there's just a few of us here. I want you to, want you to get this. Looking away from all that will distract and looking unto Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of your faith. Listen why, how we're to look. Not just looking to him to just step down and take away all the problems, step in and take us out of the pressure of the fiery trial. Consider him, the next verse. Consider him. Consider him. And that's what she did. She considered him and not herself in that moment of her own pressure, her own pain. And now, you know, it's not that she's some super spiritual person and she can just work everything perfectly. There was a grace and a peace in that room, and there was a focus, an extreme focus on Jesus for the help that we needed. But the moment she quit focusing, if you keep, if you don't, what is it? Let me, let me put this in context. Let me start it from the beginning because I feel this so strongly today. Lay aside every sin and wait. That does so what? Easily beset you. Satan said, this is a piece of cake. If you're wrapped up in yourself, I got you, and it ain't going to take much to get you down. Amen? Your Christian life is going to be like a roller coaster. You will have some highs. But the higher you climb, the harder it is when you crest and go down. And the deeper that valley is going to seem and going to be. Lay aside every sin and weight that does so easily beset you. And run with patience the race that is set before you, looking unto Jesus. Everybody say, away from all that will distract. And setting your gaze on Jesus. And when we think of distractions, we think of our responsibilities and our circumstances. But did you know one of the biggest distractions is not your responsibility nor your circumstance? It's yourself. The person that shaves your face or your legs. If you, amen, depending on your gender, amen. It's the person that walks between your elbows. It's distracting when you're caught up in yourself. You cannot simultaneously look to Jesus and look at your circumstance. You've got to look away from the circumstance to look to Jesus. And you've got to look away from yourself to look to Jesus. And you've got to deny yourself to begin to take up your cross and follow Jesus. And so Paul said, I sanctify myself Daily, I put myself on the cross. It's the only way to sanctify yourself. Amen? Without crucifying the flesh, you can never sanctify yourself. I pray a prayer for my health because I have a, a son that's 45 years old uh, that needs me to help him because of his circumstance. I, I have a wife that needs me to be her nurse right now, and I need my help to take care of my wife. So let me just tell you how I pray over my food. You don't have to pray this way, but I don't pray anymore. God is great. God is good. Let us thank you for this food over the 
uh, through the teeth and over the gums, look out, belly, here it comes. Amen? I, I, I take it all, I, I pray differently because my need is greater. And when you get deeper in God, you know, the Bible said your food is sanctified by the word and prayer. It's to be received because it can be sanctified. Sanctified food for sanctified people. Amen? Why have sanctified food if the person isn't sanctified? Amen? So I pray like this. I said, Lord, I lift this food up to you to be sanctified by the word and prayer as I sanctify my body unto you. Let this food, therefore, be sanctified unto me, that it might become health to my navel. This is just me. I feel I, I, this is just me, that it may become health to my navel and marrow to my bone, for you are Jehovah Rophe, the Lord that heals me. Hallelujah. And every time I pray that, I think, Lord, I am so glad. Doctors, they, they, they can do things that never dreamed of. 20 years ago, but they are flesh and blood, and they have limits, and they can't touch what God can and will do in our life. Can you say amen? That's how I pray. Lord, I'm sanctifying myself unto you. Let this food be sanctified unto me, that it might become more than nutrition for my physical man, but healing for my body and health for my body. And I'm just happy to report today of the peace of God and the power of God. Now let's go back to that that we were talking about. Running with patience. I appreciate your message. I finally got to listen to your message. I took the time, and I, I sat down because I had a, a moment while Pamela was dozing. And, and it's good when somebody you're taking care of dozes. You get a break. You, you've been a caregiver. I was a caregiver for my dad. He would, I would hear him snoring. I said, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. My dad is resting good today. <laughs> Amen. And, and when Pamela and the dog goes, what, what? <laughs> Who that? Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. But God is good. I love my wife. I'll care for her till she's back on her feet completely. Oh, by the way, I had her a walker set up. She hasn't used it one time. I, she just can't pull herself up. I have to just sit her up, and then she can push up with her feet, but she's been going to the bathroom. I have her a potty chair. I was fully prepared. I had her a walker and a potty chair, amen, in the same room, and she's, she says, I'm going, as long as I lift her up, then she can push up, goes to the bathroom. Did a little report on, on that kind of stuff. Once again, when she said the moment that pain relieved and it didn't go away but it became bearable, they had given everything they can give. And they can't give you too much after that kind of shock to your heart. Can't give you the heavy duty, put you out. Uh, and, and I wanted to trade places with her, but I couldn't. So I prayed with compassion. I said, Lord, I know that you know what pain is because you felt pain, physical pain on the cross. You felt that. You felt it. You felt emotional pain in the garden. His soul was sorrowful unto death. How far down have you ever got? Jesus has been where you are. 
If you think the apostles had developed a hyper faith, whereby they could just sail through all of their trials without anything putting them under pressure, you're terribly mistaken. And it's people that try to preach that are not preaching the truth about our humanity. The Apostle Paul said, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, to the church at Corinth. I don't want you to misunderstand. I want to make it very clear the trouble that we experienced in Asia. How we despaired. We were pressed beyond measure. How do you know it's beyond measures when you can't handle it? You can't emotionally, you can't mentally handle it any further. How we were pressed beyond measure, and how did they react? And despaired of life itself. Jesus has been there. Paul has been there. Say it with me. Jesus has been there. Don't try to outdo Jesus and develop some faith where you won't ever get there. I've been there. I've been to the place that I wished he would take me on home. Amen. I'm serious. I have been in that deep, dark valley. In fact, I was so smothering when I came back from Jamaica and my nervous exhaustion set in. The anxiety attacks came and I don't know what I was doing. Uh, but I, I know that I was laying in the floor in the bathroom and my wife wanted to call 911 and I knew the only one that can help me is God at this moment. If they come, they won't be able to save me, but he will. And I was curled up in the bathroom on the floor trying to get enough oxygen to keep from just passing. Felt like I was passing out. I've been in that place. And because of the discomfort I was in, I said, Lord, I, I wanted to go home. I wanted to get out of a failed, what I felt was a failed and failing body. I want, oh, Jesus was there. Paul was there. You say, how did you get there? Because Jesus was there. Paul was there. You may have never been there. Maybe you think what you're going through is, is just, it's just, I don't know why, Brother Vimble, he's walking on, on air all the time, and he's just, you know, he's just in this grace bubble, and nothing touches him. I'm so glad to have been. That, that's what I look at young preachers today. Got a hold of the word, but until they go through a valley and experience the grace that is available and the peace that only comes from God in that valley, they'll never know what you're hearing this morning. Someone is feeling condemned in this room right now because you're not handling your pressure very good. God wants to help you with that. I've, God will not abandon you. He will not say, you know, if you can't take the heat, stay out of the kitchen. He will never say to you, if you can't run with the big dog, stay on the porch. Amen. I don't want to run with the big dog because I know something about the big dogs. One of these days, one of these days, they're going to need what I'm telling you this morning. Amen. An old preacher that had retired. Nothing to do with us. We're not ready yet, right? Okay. Old preacher that had retired. A young evangelist came to preach in the church where he was, what do they call it when you're retired and other guys in? 
pastor, pastor emeritus, or there's some name for that, that you, you were there for years and someone has come in and you're kind of, and he, he couldn't go that morning. He had health problems, uh, but uh, he, they brought him a tape and he heard the young man preach and he preached like a fireball. Boy, he was anointed and he preached so powerfully. And his, his, his granddaughter was so impressed with this young evangelist and his power that he preached with. And, of course, the old sage, hate, hate to use the word, how about this, the senior sage preacher that had been through the valleys? He said, she said, well, granddad, what did you think of his message? What do you think of this guy? He says, you know, he may make a great preacher someday after he suffered, after he suffered. Suffering seasons us. Going through things with God deepens our faith. It doesn't hurt us. It helps us to trust him in the future things that we may face. The Apostle Paul suffered those things. Jesus Jesus asked Peter to pray with him. Can you imagine? I mean, Peter, Peter, Peter's impetuous. Peter will jump out of the boat. <laughs> He'll sink and holler. Can you say man? I mean, he, he, was, he was up and down. Peter got out of the boat, but he sank. Jesus, help me impetuous Peter. They might deny you. I don't trust them either. But I'll never deny you. Jesus said, you crazy thing. Well, I'm just ad-libbing a little bit here. Amen. You so crazy, Peter. Amen. When you get under pressure, all of that's going to break down. And it did. And you know what Jesus said to You know what Jesus did to get him back on track instead of condemning him for his lack of faith? And by the way, nobody denied him like Peter did. They all, in a sense, did because they went and hid in a room for fear of their own life. But Peter was the one that swore with an oath and said publicly, I never knew him. And no one was hurting like Peter was hurting. And after the resurrection... Peter's out fishing. I go a fishing. Forget all of this discipleship, apostleship, and I'm going back to what I know. I'm going back to fishing. It's all I'm good for is fishing. I can't be a man of God, and God couldn't use me anyhow, so I go a fishing. And they, of course, catch nothing. Somebody's on the bank that he denied. Someone's on the bank that he failed terribly. It's Jesus. And if you want to know how practical God is and personal God is, they are hungry. They haven't got anything to eat. They are tired. They are wore out physically and wore down spiritually. And Jesus is cooking fish for them. Somebody say, wow. Somebody say it backwards. Wow. I mean, it's bigger than an amen, isn't it? Jesus, Jesus is cooking fish for them. And when Peter comes to the fire that Jesus built, 
You say, Brother Rumble, where did he get the fish? Well, all the fullness of God. How did he turn the water to wine? What did he do? How did he... Listen, if he... How did he multiply the fish and loaves to feed all of those people? Because he was God incarnate, God in flesh. Amen. Let there be fish, and behold, there was fish. (laughs) But he built the fire. He built the fire. He cooked the fish for hungry, discouraged disciples. And the one that was hurting so bad was Peter and And Peter comes to a fire, and he had to remember, because the last fire that Peter warmed his hands at was the place where they said, you're a follower of Jesus. He said, no, I'm not. Your speech betrays you. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. And then he swore with an oath. And I believe it was more than some four-letter word in the Hebrew, some curse word, oath. I believe he went further than that, something that becomes very serious. And that's swearing by Jehovah. He wasn't supposed to do that in the first place. And he wanted to convince them beyond so he wouldn't be in jeopardy. And now he's standing by a fire. And the Lord he rejected and the Lord he denied. That Lord is serving him. Blessing him. And you know what happened? Peter's religious love melted into a full-blown spiritual devotion to Christ. Amen. Trials will bring something to the surface in your life and mine. It will test the depth of our devotion. If Pamela had cried out, Why, Lord, are you letting me go through this? Or why don't you take this away from me instead of focusing on his pain instead of hers? The pain, the only management they could give is the the biggest dose of whatever they had. But she didn't. And it wasn't because she's a paragon that she's in some spiritual level up here where I just tell the pain to go and go. No, the pain didn't go anywhere. But her focus wasn't on the pain. Her focus was on his pain. And the moment the focus shifted, her pain became bearable. Isn't that incredible? There's a biblical principle here that is going on. Was Jesus in that deep a valley? Yes, he was. In the garden, Jesus said, My, His soul was sorrowful unto death. That part of his human being, his humanity, sorrowful unto death, what does that mean? That means that I can't, I, this is overwhelming. This is completely overwhelming. Like Paul said, we were pressed beyond measure and what? Despaired of life itself. That we might learn not to trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. That we might learn a lesson. And, and you will never, after that experience of getting that low and God lifted him up through that, taking him through. You will never hear Paul talk like that again through his whole journey in spite of everything that happened. In fact, he talked the total opposite. He said if anybody had reason to, to, to glory in, in sufferings for the sake of the gospel, I'm more. I'm more. I, I was given 39 stripes on five occasions. 
Why 39? Why 39? Because people went into shock and died if they went any further. And they counted it. They wanted to give the maximum punishment without killing the victim. Five times. Five times. I mean, that will make you want to go home and get out of here. Amen? He said, I was beaten with rods. Three times. He said, I was stoned and left for dead. He said, I was shipwrecked. I was in the deep for a day and a night. Amen? He said, I was among false brethren. So not only did he go through these physical things, he went through emotional things. David said, if it had been an enemy, it, it would roll off of me like water off a duck's back. I'm putting a little something in there. If it had been an enemy that hurt me, no big deal. But it was a brother. It was someone I went up and worshipped with. The devil knows how to get to your emotions. He knows how to get to your emotional man as well as attack the physical part of you. Jesus' soul was sorrowful unto death, and he prayed, if there's any other way, if there's any possible other way to save mankind, I don't want to do this. And the moment he says that, my mind and yours, because we are human beings and we're in a physical body, you know where our mind goes? Nails going through our hands and feet. The cat tearing flesh from our bones. Cat of nine tails. Braided leather, pieces of pottery in the end of it, or pieces of metal, so that it wrapped around the victim, and when they yanked it back, it tore bits of flesh from them. So he was not, when it said stripes, it's talking about this kind of thing. It would wrap around the rib cage, and they'd yank it back, and they did it so many times that according to Psalm 22, he said, my bones prophetically what would occur. My bones stare out of me. You could see his ribcage. That's how bloodied he was before they even impaled him for those six hours on the cross. As a lamb dumb before his shears, he opened not his mouth. And the Bible said that he despised not the pain. His mind wasn't on the pain when he said, let this cup pass me. He said he endured the cross despising the shame. He that knew no sin was going to die as a sinner, taking our sin figuratively and spiritually upon himself, and taking our punishment. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was laid on him. Surely he bore our griefs and carried our sorrows, took our punishment. Isaiah 53. All we, like sheep, have gone astray, but God hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Therefore, I will appoint unto him a portion with the great. 
there's anybody to be worshipped, if there's anybody to be honored, if there's anybody to be loved and lifted up, it's Jesus Christ today. Can you say amen to that? Hallelujah. The moment our minds begin to shift and our focus begins to shift, and I watched Pamela relax the moment it shifted from her pain to his pain, and to hear her pray and say, as I was saying, Jesus, help my wife. You know what pain is. Show your mercy right here, right now. Because when someone you love is hurting and groaning, it hurts you. But not in the way it's hurting them, but it hurts you. I would have traded place gladly. But I saw God do a work. Hallelujah. When she said, Jesus, she looked away from me praying. She said, Jesus. My pain is nothing compared to your pain. And immediately I knew she's going to come through this. She's going to bear up under this. It is not going to become unbearable from this point forward. And it's not going to be the drugs because they can't give her no more. It's going to be the grace of God. And it's going to be the fact that she was no longer looking where the devil wants you and I to look every time we hit a problem in pressure in life or pain in life. And that's self. That's self. That's self. I sanctify myself daily. Literally, Paul is saying, I crucify my flesh daily because it's the only way to sanctify yourself. Can't do it by wearing your hair a particular way. Can't do it by, we thought we could, when I first got saved, you wear your sleeves down to here, you know, you're sanctified. This sanctifies you, how you look on the outside. It's important how we look on the outside for our testimony and our witness. But sanctification is when you put self on the cross and not before. Amen? We've got to understand that. Some people think it's touch not this and touch not that. And, and, and Paul said, everything's lawful for me. I'm not under that law anymore. You can't get holy by that anymore. Can you say? You can't get holy by keeping that anymore. You can't be made holy by doing that. If you could, Jesus didn't go, have to go to the cross anyway. He said, everything's lawful, but everything's not good for me. And i got enough sense to know that if it's not good for me, I ought to lay it down for him. Amen? Have you sanctified yourself lately? Have you been to the cross not to look up at Jesus, but to join him? Have you ever sanctified yourself? Paul did it every single day. And he went through that deep valley. He learned not to trust in himself, another reason to sanctify yourself and crucify yourself, but to trust in God who raises the dead. And he said, I was shipwrecked. I was <laughs> D.O. Moody. No, C.H. Spurgeon got robbed. He got robbed. He's a man of God, one of the prince of preachers, they call him, of the, of the turn of the century. And he fell among thieves, just like Paul took everything he had. And after the thief left, he said, they took everything I have, but I thank God I didn't have much. <laughs> he got it all, but it wasn't much. You remember when they robbed our church? We had a whole bunch of stuff stacked up that didn't work, old monitors that didn't work, old stuff that didn't work. And we were threatening, pronosticating, of having it all hauled away. Well, they didn't know the good stuff was in the balcony in there in the dark, messing around, crazy thieves. Amen. In there messing around in the church in the dark and a little bit of light from the street light. And you know what they did? They grabbed, they grabbed all that stuff. 
that we were going to throw away and hauled it off. Yippee! Whoopee! Yeah. And, and, and I got up out of bed at 2 or 3 in the morning. A policeman called me from Tampa, from, and I'm living in Plant City. And, and, and you know, my, when I woke up and, and I picked up the phone and, and he says, You're, are you Pastor Venable? Yes, your, your church has been robbed. We saw the door open. We want you to come down and see what they took. And, and I said, oh, Lord, have mercy. And I had just got through preaching a series on praising God, worshiping God no matter what. And now I've got an opportunity to either say, why, why did you let that? And at first I did. You know what I told the Lord first when I got in my car? Cause, you know, you get up at 3 in the morning, your church has been broken, you, you, you're feeling kind of bad anyway. I said, Lord, you ought to fire every one of those angels you posted. I did. I told him that. I, I actually, I knew it wasn't God. It had to be angels that messed up. I didn't question God at all. <laughs> I did, Brother Taylor. I, was, I said, Lord, you ought to fire every angel that encamped round about our church. They'd let them suckers come in, that outfit, knuckleheads and take our stuff and i got down there and i looked around they took all that stuff that wasn't no good and i said lord look at here look at here all the good stuff's in the balcony they took the junk and hauled it off for us but they broke in our church and boy there was a policeman there and man he was upset he said if they broke in a gas station that's one thing if they broke in a 7-Eleven, that's something else. They broke in a house and burglarized it. That's something else. But they broke in the house of God. And I thought, but you know what I did second on the way down? What I did second on the way down, after I told the Lord to fire the angels, got that out of my system. <laughs> my flesh needed to be put on the cross. I said, Lord, I'm going to praise you. I don't know what I'm going to find. I don't know what they took or any damage they may have done. But I am going to thank you and I'm going to praise you because you are faithful. If they took it all, you'll give us something new and better. It's going to be okay. I've been known to preach without a microphone. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. Praise God. It'll be okay. It'll be okay. They broke out our windows and two people stepped up and financed an expert come in and replace those stained glass windows till you couldn't tell they were ever broken out. Amen. And what a, we just thank the Lord. He kept us for 25 years in one of the toughest neighborhoods in the city of Tampa. Praise God. He took care of me. He took care of you. He took care of our property. He proved himself over and over and over again. And I told the policeman, I said, listen, God's got this. God's got this. It's going to be okay. I kept reassuring him, <laughs> don't, don't raise your blood pressure. Go out and catch the thief, yes, but it's going to be okay. I'm not going to question God. I told him, fire the angels, but I won't question him. And by the time I got there, pray, I said, Lord, I'm going to thank you. I praise you. I thank you. I praise you. I don't thank you for getting broke in, but I thank you for no matter what happens, you are faithful. And I thank you that you're in control. And I thank you that all things, including this thing, work together for good to them that love you and are called according to your purpose. Oh, I thank you that I can call on you. I thank you, Lord, that you're there in the time of trouble. 
I thank You, Lord, that trouble doesn't stop God from blessing and helping and coming through. Woo! Time I got there, I was built up in my faith, praising God from Plant City. Do you want to know how long to praise Him in the storm when it first hits? Time it from Plant City to Tampa. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. By the time I got there, I was lifted up. Self is the greatest enemy of focusing on the Lord. I sanctify myself daily. I do not fight as one that beateth the air. I am not shadow boxing. I know where the real enemy is, and I know how to defeat him and itself. Remember the political cartoon Pogo? Only you. Anybody else remember Pogo? Political satire in the funnies. Pogo. Wow. Brother Taylor, I'm so glad you're here today. I feel like the only old guy in the beard. I know your beard is white, but you don't remember Pogo. So you can't join this club. Can you say, man, you remember Pogo. Anyways, political satire, before it was cool and before it was in. And he said, I have met the enemy. And it became something they ran in New Yorker magazine and in the Times and everything. Something out of that political satire in the funny paper back in the 50s. He said, I have met the enemy. And it's us. I have met, you may have heard that before. came from Pogo in the funny paper. I've met the enemy. And it's us. Did you know the tempter is not the problem? It's the temptee. Let no man say when he's tempted, I'm tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man, that includes the women today, all the women say, me too. Every human being on this planet, every man is tempted when he's led away of what? His own lust. And enticed. That word enticed is like putting a lure or a bait on a hook, something the fish just can't do without. I want that. Every man is tempted like that. That's why Paul said, I've got to do this every day. This is not a one-time thing that happens as part of my salvation journey, and you never have to deal with it again. Positionally, can be argued, but not personally. Personally, it is a daily thing. I do not fight as one that beateth the air, but I buffet if Paul... Where, where's Sean? I feel his spirit here. Because buffet and buffet is spelled the same way depending on the context. And a buffet is what you have when you go to the Golden Corral, right? So Paul, Paul, not Paul, but Sean would always say, I buffet my body daily. <laughs> Amen. But buffet means you crucify the flesh. I buffet my body. I sanctify myself daily. I do not fight as one that beateth the air. I buffet my body. I bring it into subjection. And that means the mind has to be disciplined. God did not give us the spirit of fear, but of power. 
by the way, the spirit of fear is not a demon that needs to cast out. It's a mind that needs to be focused. Thank you for the amens, because it's easier. It would be easier if you just had a devil, and we could cast out the devil, and then you would be just fine. But you've got weak flesh. You've got to crucify that. If we cast you out of your flesh, we cast... We can't cast the flesh out of you, and if we cast you out of your flesh, then you're out of here. Amen. Short trip to heaven. Father, deliver her from her weak flesh. Zip. Plop. She says, there's got to be a better way. You, you think crucifying the flesh is tough. Amen. Listen, considering the alternative, you've got to deal with it. Everybody say you look at somebody next to you and say you've got to deal with that. Nobody can deal with that for you. I sanctify myself daily. When I get up in the morning, I look in the mirror and say, I've met the enemy. <laughs> Hallelujah. And it's me. Every Christian, every preacher, every pastor, every prophet, every evangelist, Brother Venable and your pastor from the past. He had to sanctify himself daily. I buffet my body, not buffet. I bring it into subjection. That means I crucify the flesh. That you listen. One of the one of the, the mind of Christ has been so misinterpreted. We think it's some spiritual la la land where we just live in revelation all the time. I got the mind of Christ. I hear it all the time. I've lost my mind. And I agree with that part. So far, so good. Can you say, man? I've lost my mind, and I've got the mind of Christ. Oh, really? Really? In the context of the mind of Christ, you're really there? You're really in that place? Really? For real? For rizzle? For as much. For as much. Come right in. You are welcome today. God bless your heart for being here. And, and, and our visitor brother with you, you are so welcome here today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you for being here. For as much as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, literal, physical suffering as well as the spiritual part of that, the emotional part of that, Arm yourself with the same mind. It begins, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ the Lord who humbled himself in another scripture. Humbling himself is giving up that right to self. It's denying self. It starts with humbling your what? The part of you where the pride originates, the part of you where iniquity dwells, the part of you that is always looking past the cross to our circumstance instead of looking to the cross to help us through our circumstance. Though Christ thought it not robbery to be called equal with God. Let this mind be in you. Yet he humbled himself and took on himself the form of a servant and was obedient even to the death of the cross. Therefore, 
God hath highly exalted him. He's given him a name above every name of things in heaven and earth and beneath the earth, that at the sound of his name every knee would bow, every tongue would confess that he and he alone is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It started with humility. As a lamb dumb before his shears, he opened not his mouth. Don't ever see Jesus as a victim, but as a victor. The cross is a symbol of his victory and our victory, not his defeat nor ours. Hallelujah. 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 So Jesus in the garden says, the pressure of this, this thing that's coming, the shame of it, what is going to happen to me if there's any other way? Let this cup pass from me. And he was sorrowful. He was sorrowful. His soul. Thank God he took on flesh. He understands that part where the emotions dwell, where those feelings occur, not just the physical pain of nails, but the emotional pressure and pain. In Gethsemane, Gethsemane wasn't a rose garden. He never promised us a rose garden coin a phrase. But it was where an olive press was and where olive trees were harvested. They didn't have sophisticated ways of getting the olive oil like they knew now. But they had this big flat top rock with a groove cut in it. And they took the olives and they threw them on that base rock. And they let a heavy heavy stone, flat also, down upon it. And it pressed the olives until the juice ran out and ran through the groove, and then they caught, filtered it and caught it. Jesus chose Gethsemane to make the commitment to go to the cross. He was committed when he was born to head for the cross, but he confirmed the commitment in Gethsemane. His soul was sorrowful. Do you see the pressure he was under? The pressure so great that his sweat, because of the capillaries bursting just under the skin, blending with the sweat gland, sweat, it looked like it was a reddish-brown mixture, but it appeared as great drops of blood. He sweat great drops of blood. Wow. And this was before. They impaled him on the cross. And before they beat him in such a way that the Bible said his visage was marred, his physical image of his being was marred more than any man. If it wasn't for the angel doing what he did in the garden, he couldn't have suffered like that without dying before paying the sin debt in full. You know what happened? The Bible said after he said, not my will, but thine be done, angels came and ministered unto him. Angels came 
what did they do? Did they take away all the, the pain and pressure so he could go through it in some kind of a bubble, uh, some kind of uh, insulated spiritual thing to where he didn't feel and sense? No. They strengthened him to endure the pain. He had to pay a sin debt, and he had to suffer to do it. And so the Bible said in First Peter, insomuch as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourself with the same mind. For he that is suffered in the flesh, everybody say sanctified daily, crucified the flesh, it's all coming together. He that suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Sin doesn't dominate anymore. Why? Because we're dead to self. And Satan appeals to self. Let away of our own lust and enticed. It's always self. Submit yourself unto God. Resist the devil. He has no choice. But until you're submitted to God, going to a faith seminar and a believer's convention where you're taught the authority of the believer, the first execution of spiritual authority is over self, not Satan. Because if you conquer self, he can't conquer you. He has to flee. And this cop-out in Christian community, I would have served God, but the devil came against me. If, he, if you submit to God and he's fleeing from you, if you're submitted to God and he's fleeing from you, then he's not going to defeat you by coming against you. Does that make any sense to you? You're looking at the backside of the devil running like he's scared to death. I would have done this, but the devil came again. He comes against everybody. But if you submit to God and resist him in the name of Jesus, he has to do what? Flee from you. Not because you're name dropping, but because you're submitted to God. And if God be for you, and if you're submitted to him, he is for you. Wow. Who? And stand against you. Don't you ever give the devil that kind of authority because he don't have it. Give no ground to him. None. Zero. Zilch. You really have the mind of Christ? I've lost my mind and got the mind of Christ. I'm living in some spiritual sphere up here. Honey, you better, you better, you better go back to the Bible and find out what constitutes the mind of Christ. It's not spiritual revelations. It is a personal commitment to walk as he walked. Let this mind be in you that was also in Jesus Christ. See, this is to first cast down the pride that is intrinsic to our flesh. If anyone had reason to boast, Paul said, I more. But he knew where that was coming from, that religious pride. I've seen it in people with gifts, and I shudder because I say I don't care how gifted they are, how many revelations they have, they're riding for a fall. When people identify themselves by their anointing instead of, you know, first being a dedicated Christian, I was, I was so happy. It thrilled me so much when I went to a gym in, in Plant City, and, and I, I'd been going about six months, uh, the lady that owned the gym and her son that run it, she was, she was she's probably in her 80s now uh, because 
you know, she was an aged lady, and, and she said she, she, I would talk with her a lot, and I'd go in and get my workout and, and go home. And, and uh, my wife came in uh, with me one time, and she took my wife aside, and she said, I don't think anyone but me and my son in this gym knows that your husband is a preacher. He hasn't told anyone. We haven't. You know, when you take off your shirt and tie and your preacher suit and you put on a pair of sweatpants and a sweatshirt, a pair of tennis shoes, uh, you could pass for just an ordinary person. Amen? I mean, there's no aura over you. You know, there's no five-pound cross hanging around you. I mean, rap stars do that. Doesn't indicate anything unless you're nailed on it. Can you say, man? She said, they all think he's just a good Christian man. That's what is supposed to be communicated. Before titles, before anointings, before declarations of our spirituality, we're supposed to be good Christian people, people that follow Jesus, that have evidence that we're committed to Christ. So let's define the mind of Christ before we have worship and close. We're doing this in reverse today because God, God wanted to say something early on this morning. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ the Lord, who though he thought it not robbery to be called equal with God, he humbled himself. It starts with getting rid of pride. No matter what you're proud of, pride is pride. You might be proud of your accomplishments, and you need to be honored for it, but you do not promote yourself. Jesus made of himself no reputation. And if anybody had a right to, it was him. Can you say man? But he didn't promote himself. Why callest thou me good? There's none good but my Father. They looked at him after the flesh. They didn't see that God part of him. He said the glory goes to him. And Paul did the same thing. He rent his clothes when they said the gods have come down in the form of men. Instead of promoting himself as a faith healer, some spiritual big shot, he tore open his robe and showed them his bare flesh and said, I'm not a god and I'm not to be worshipped. The honor goes to the one. You don't know who you serve. You don't know what you serve, but we know who we serve. And I've come to tell you about the true God. Hallelujah. And He's not Zeus, and He's not some idol on that mountain in Greece. He is the God of heaven and earth. His name is Jehovah, and His Son and our Savior is Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. Glory. So, the next time you hear that kind of curt thing, I've lost my mind and got the mind of Christ. I'm walking in some euphorial, you know, spiritual realm. No, you're not. You're showing us your pride. You're promoting yourself for a reputation of how spiritual you are. Remember the man they gave the they gave the pin for most humble in his church. They gave him a pin. They said most humble. He wore it to church the next Sunday and they took it away from him. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ the Lord. 
Who though he thought it was not he actually said he was equal with God. He declared I am just like God. So he thought it not robbery, robbing God of glory to call himself equal with God. But he humbled himself and took on himself the mind of a servant and the role of a servant. The Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve. Did you know at the wedding supper of the Lamb, they're not going to have major deeds? At the marriage supper of the Lamb, they're not going to have angel service. The way I understand Revelation, Jesus is going to do it. Just like he cooked for Simon Peter. And then he began to say, now, do you love me? Peter said, you know all things. No need me telling you something you already know. You know all things. You know I love you. He said, then feed my sheep. He asked him again, Peter, do you love me? Peter said, yea, Lord, you know. Goes down to finally says, Peter, do you love me? Peter denied him three times. And now Peter is affirming his devotion to Jesus Christ three times. And didn't he walk it out? Can you say amen? This is not in the Bible, but it is part of historical writings around that time that when they went to crucify Peter, listen to what the change had come. This guy that feared that so much he denied Jesus initially, became so devoted to Christ, he said, don't crucify me upright like him. I'm not worthy. Talk about humility. He said, turn my cross upside down. I'm not worthy to be compared to him in suffering. Wow, what a change had come in this, this vacillating, impetuous man that fell in love with Christ. Have you ever met spiritual people so spiritual they live on this high up here? When I see them, I shudder for them. But when a man, they're saying it indirectly. They don't even realize it. Pride will blind you. When a man says, behold, I stand. Can you see the pride in it, the self in it, the self-assurance, self-confidence? It's all right to be confident in Christ in you. But Paul said, not that we are sufficient of anything in ourselves, for our sufficiency is of God. They will try to dominate you. They become domineering spiritually because you're not on their spiritual level. I've had people come because we're Pentecostal, sit in our congregation, declare their spirituality to me, and I mark them. I mark them immediately. I say, that person can't see. They won't receive the word like the rest of us that need help. They don't see themselves on our level. They don't see the flesh as their enemy. They think they're sanctified as they need to be. They don't take the word to heart. They don't feel conviction because they're living up on that spiritual plane and they put themselves above. That's why the Bible said don't let a novice, someone who isn't experienced, just because they've got a little learning and they've got great confidence and they've got a great delivery, don't let them teach. 
Don't put them in a position. You're setting them up for a fall because they're going to be filled with pride. And pride goeth before what? Destruction. And a haughty spirit before a fall. And God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. It's not the squeaky wheel that gets the grace. (laughs) It's the humble heart. Listen to what God says as we hurry and close. Are you getting anything out of this? Are you seeing something today? Amen. Oh, Father, how we love you. How we need you today. How we need you today. How we need you today. How we need our humility. No matter how you use us, how many gifts flow in our lives, how many things you've shown us, Paul was concerned, lest I be lifted up above measure because of what so many mighty revelations from god some people get one little revelation and put themselves on a pedestal paul said i've had many and there's danger that my flesh will begin to take the credit for what should go to god and god alone to take the glory that is god's and god's alone seek the glory that should be given to god and god alone and to help me sanctify myself and to help me crucify my flesh and to keep me from falling into pride and disqualifying myself from the grace that is given to the humble. There was given to me in the permissive will of God there was allowed to come an emissary from Satan. You know what emissary means in the Greek? A special agent. The devil picked out His chief tempting, His chief persecuting, His chief chief stirring up people against somebody, His chief agent to cause problems and pressures, and said, I'm assigning you, not to the whole Christian community, I'm assigning you to one man in it. He's got power with God. (laughs) Hallelujah. And He's humble. And I'm going to have a hard time with him. He didn't just have a hard time. He never defeated him. I'm assigning you to him. And Paul said, there was given to me an emissary from Satan to buffet me. I buffet my body. What helped him to do that? All the trouble that he had. I would not have you to be ignorant of our trouble that we had in Asia that we might learn not to trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Hallelujah. And I prayed three times, Lord, take this from me. I've got great faith. I've got authority as a believer. Take this out of the way. And the Lord spoke to him after the third time when he could see the questioning in his own heart like ours come. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. Hallelujah. My strength is perfected in those who keep growing spiritually and become a paragon of power. No, my grace is perfected in weakness. In other words, God gets the most glory when He uses weak people. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's His M.O. And Paul had to stay in that place of humble dependency. And it was the secret of his awesome victory. Everybody say humble dependency was the secret of his awesome victory. And it was Christ as well. 
he followed the pattern. Can you say, man, hallelujah, my Father, my Father's with me. Praise God. God's grace is sufficient. If you want to take me through, you don't have to take me from. It'll be all right because there will be grace to go through. And I've discovered that grace. And he, he recognized something in himself that couldn't handle all of the applause of man and the allocates of man and the desire to be known as someone super spiritual through all those gifts and all of those miracles, lest I be lifted up above measure. How many preachers have you saw fall? I love Jimmy Swaggart. I'm glad he's restored. I'm glad he's repented and restored. But after his second fall, and he recognized, I can't do this without grace and without help and without God. He said, I didn't have to fall at all. He said, I could have. I had spiritual men of God around me that I could have confessed my weakness and my sin to. And they would have prayed with me and for me. I want you to listen to his words. But I am Jimmy Swagger. How could I humble myself? They'd lose respect for me. Honey, it would have been a lot better for someone to... Listen, whether you respect me or not, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. If I fall down, I always get back up, take up my cross, and go on. I can't tell you I'll never fall down, but I'll tell you by the help and grace of God, I'll get up and I will go on. Because His grace, I know something about it. After all of these years and all of these tears, His grace is indeed sufficient. And we're not just conquerors through Him. No such, no such Scripture in the Bible. We are not conquerors through Him. We are more than conquerors. This is not a, this is not a barely get by. His name is not El Chipo. It's El Shaddai. He's the God who's more than enough. Woo! Hallelujah! Amen! And His grace is more than enough to give us everything we need to go through everything that we face. Hallelujah! First Peter, I think it's chapter 1 and verse 4. You can check this out. If it isn't, go in a strong, exhaustive concordance. And if you're not too exhausted, you'll find where it is. For as much as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, we're still defining the mind of Christ. Humility, obedient unto the death of the cross. Come on, these are the people that say, I am willing to die to self to bring honor and glory to Him and to live my life as a Christian to bring honor and glory to my King. Hallelujah. Praise God. For as much as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourself. Arm yourself with the same mind. For he that suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Sin doesn't dominate him any longer because he's denied self, conquered self. Hallelujah. That he no more live his life to the will of the flesh, but to the will of God. Did you see in Jesus who took on flesh the contradictory wills? Not my will. The flesh had a will in that garden. And Jesus said, I crucify that. Not my will. Thy will. That's right, Willie. Thy will be done. And the Bible said that angels ministered unto him. 
not taking away any of the suffering, but giving him what he needed to take it without dying before it was accomplished. Most people would have died under the beating because his visage was marred more than any man's. You think it all occurred in six hours on the cross. Pilate was so convinced when they saw this bloody mass of a man that they'd be satisfied with his suffering and say, let him go. He brought him out and showed him and said, behold the man now. After those cruel soldiers got through beating him, whipping him, hurting him, making him bleed to the point that he was so weak he couldn't bear his cross, he couldn't carry it. And by the way, no one stepped out of the crowd with compassion. That guy that stepped out of the crowd was compelled by a Roman soldier to carry it for him, get it to the top of that hill so we can put him on it. They could put him on it because he let them, and they couldn't have kept him on it if he hadn't wanted to pay our sin debt. He was, but though he was not, thought it not robbery to be called equal with God, he was humbled himself. Took on, he was serving us and serving his father up that hill of Golgotha. And he stayed on the cross. Did he want to get down? If there's any other way, let this cup pass. You better believe it. But he stayed on the cross until he cried, It is accomplished. The sin debt is paid. I have suffered in their stead. And the wrath of God has been burned out in me so that they could be forgiven. Oh, what a Savior. Oh, hallelujah. Can you say amen? Now let me finish this scripture. Lay aside every sin and the weight that does so easily beset you and run with patience the race that is set before you. Looking unto Jesus, away from all that will distract, setting your gaze on Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of your faith. Consider Him that suffered such a great contradiction of sinners. That, where did that occur? Jesus on the cross. Can you say, man, in my behalf, in your behalf, lest you be what? Weary and faint in your own mind. Lest you be overwhelmed by all the pressures and the pain and the suffering that living in a fallen world and living in a faulty body can bring. Why do we faint in our own mind? Because our focus is on self. But when my focus is shifted to Him dying for me on the cross, I have no basis for complaint. It takes away that from me. I give it away. I lay it aside. I said, Lord, why should I be complaining? So let me close with this once again. When Pamela came out from open heart surgery, they can only give her so much pain medication. And, and really they were telling me the longer she stays under while recovering, the better for her because when she wakes up, She's going to be in a world of pain for a while. It will pass or become bearable. But she's going to be in a world of pain. When they cut you here, they, put your, they open, break your sternum and open your ribcage to work on your heart and close it back up. Uh, that's, she woke up and she, said, oh, she was groaning. And so when I went to pray for those that came in a little later to close and have worship and 
and pray for people that are in the hospital and receive our offering at the end. I began to pray for her, and I felt my compassion for her my, as a husband and just as a human. If I saw anyone suffering like that, I feel it. I said, honey, if I could trade places with you, I would. I would. I would and give you some relief. Then I said, Jesus, I know that you're going to help us because you know what pain feels like as you hung on that cross. And when she said, Oh, Jesus, my pain is nothing compared to your pain. She immediately found what she needed to endure. And that anxiousness over I can't take it gave way to a peace and an endurance to say this is going to pass because her focus wasn't on her and her pain. It was on Jesus and his. Hallelujah. And if you want something to make your pain and pressure bearable, it's the cross and the Christ who hung on it. Looking away from all that will distract, setting your gaze on Jesus. Where? Just somewhere in the shadows? No, hanging on the cross in your behalf. It'll take away your complainer. Amen. God won't have to close the complaint department in heaven. It will take away your complaint. I, wonder, I, wonder, I was so proud of Pamela for, for looking to Jesus and watching Jesus give her grace sufficient. Hallelujah. And it relieved me. There was a selfish part of that because I couldn't hardly stand. I wanted to run out of the room. Amen. It's hard to watch anything or anyone suffer. We had an old dog, best dog I ever had, until we got this one. <laughs> Amen. They left her in the neighborhood. An old mama, yellow lab mix, overweight. She wasn't emaciated. She was just she was just a big old lumbersome, uh, arthritic, <laughs> old mama dog. She didn't know no tricks. She didn't, I don't think she would bark. Or, you know. Anyway, but boy was she sweet, and we adopted her. We took her in. Lady brought her to the to Blockbuster Video and asked, had her in a car from from some nice neighborhood. Said this dog walking down the street and, and she wanted to come to our house and we can't keep this dog. Do you know anybody that needs a dog? And my wife looked at that old yellow lab. And that old yellow lab looked at her and it was love at first sight. She took that old. We she brought she brought that old lab home and that old lab. I'm telling you that that sweet. She's a sweetheart. She didn't care much about hugging and stuff, but if you lay down beside her and wait long enough, you could put your arm around her, because she'd get up and move, like, hey, hey, <laughs> you know, I love you, but no touchy-feely stuff, you know, and we, we, she, she would, but then she would, she, after a while, she would roll over on her back and want her tummy rubbed, and I'm saying, yeah, that's what I'm talking about, hey, man, you my doggy. Amen. <laughs> Pamela laid down in her big old doggy bed, thought she would come and lay down beside her. She looked at her laying there in her doggy bed, went over and plopped down on her. Now, I mean, she's a big old dog plopped down on Pamela. Pamela had to get up. That's my bed. And she, left, she slept on my side just under the bed. 
so big. She got so, at the end, she got so tired, she couldn't get out from under the bed. So I would have to lift the bed up, and she could crawl out. And her health went down, and she started having, you know, all kinds of stuff, uh, particularly when she would, she would have some kind of spasm or whatever you want to call it. She got to where her hind legs didn't work anymore. We would have to drag her out and put a fan on her and, and take her out where she could go to the bathroom. And, and we said, it's time. She's suffering. She's suffering. It's time. It's time to say goodbye to old Sophie. And we took her to the vet, and she couldn't walk, so I put her on a blanket. And I pulled her on a blanket into the vet's office, and, and I, I couldn't go back there. Amen. I just couldn't go back there. I couldn't do it. I, I knew it had to be done. It needed to be done, and, and it was for her good, but I couldn't go back there. So I sent Pamela. <laughs> I said, honey, you, can you handle this? And she, <laughs> she said, yeah, I, 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 I'll go with her. I'll go with her. And Pamela went back and held her, held her close. And I remember... I remember when I went down to see Pamela's mama in hospice and, and Pamela was up in the bed with her. She was up in the bed with her and her arms around her, singing in her ear, singing in her ear. And Maylene passed with such sweet peace, singing the songs of Zion, the hope of all Christians. Praise God. My great-grandmother, when she was passing, I went in and she said, I'm cold. I'm so cold. We had blankets on her and everything. Pamela threw the covers back, climbed in bed with her, put her arms around her, held her till she went home. Wow. But when I saw Pamela like that, I wanted to, I wanted to take her place. But God did what I couldn't do. The medicine couldn't do and the doctors couldn't do. And that's give a sufficient grace and a peace to endure. And when it passed, it's like it never happened. She doesn't, it's like that never occurred. And, and I had to tell her what she said. She said, did I say anything? I said, yeah, when I was asking Jesus to help you because he knew what pain was all about. You said, Jesus, my pain. There's nothing compared to your pain. And I said, immediately, you relaxed and endured what you needed to endure. There's part, enduring some things is common to every single Christian, not escaping everything, but grace sufficient to go through. And God brought her through. And my mother went to a convalescent home for a week after this kind of surgery. My wife came home with me. Amen. And I'm so grateful God was there from day one. Had they not found the blockage, she would have had a major, if God didn't intervene, she would have had a major heart event. But, and oh, by, by the way, the doctor told me, he said, he, said, I said, he said, we're extremely happy with the result. And I said, well, doctor, I have been, this is the surgeon. I said, I have, I have had my wife for 55 years. And I would like to keep her a little while longer. And he said, well, she should be good for another 50 years. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise God.
And I told Brother Taylor that, and then I told him, I'm going to have to start working out. <laughs> I'm going back to the gym. <laughs> I don't know if I can. <laughs> anyway, you know what I'm saying. God was there and turned everything. Mike put an email said, this test is going to turn and give you a testimony to my wife. Thank you for that. Thank you that prayed. Thank you that cared enough, had enough compassion. There are some people we knew for years we never even heard a word from. But thank you for caring. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for praying. God listened, and we felt it. Hallelujah. And there's victory in Jesus today. And my wife said, you know, I wish I could be there this morning. I said, you'll get there. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. You'll be back. Praise the Lord. I want to pray now before we praise God, before we leave. I want to, I want to pray for Sister Elaine's husband. I prayed the sinner's prayer with him without knowing Pamela was going into the hospital. I was at the hospital the day before her procedure praying with Elaine and for her husband. He prayed the sinner's prayer with me. He's right with God. He's ready to meet the Lord, but we also prayed for his healing. And like Pamela said before she went under for the surgery, I was with her till the last as far as I could go. <laughs> she said, I'll see you on the other side one way or the other. And I said, well, we're going to go the one way. Okay. <laughs> Amen. Let's go the one way. Praise God. I'm not ready. I'll never be ready. We were not designed to die. God didn't design death to be part of the human experience. Sin brought it. Through one man's sin, death come. Amen. But through one man's righteousness, there's victory over it eternally in the future for every one of us today that know Him as our Savior. Are you learning something about sanctification? What it really means? Did you learn anything about the mind of Christ? Hallelujah. Amen. And where the cross fits into our devotional life and how it can help us by focusing on Him. Heavenly Father, we're praying right now for Elaine's husband, who's back in surgery today. Elaine is feeling the pressure Right now, we pray for your peace for Elaine. We pray for your help for her husband. This test can turn into a testimony. Lord, in the name of Jesus, we stand in the gap for him. We plead the blood of Christ over him, and we claim, claim your word and your grace and your mercy, your help for him. Help him to receive it. Help her to receive it in Jesus' name today. We thank you for how good you've been to us. Hallelujah. We thank you for being here this morning together. We thank you for being able to pray for one another, to bear one another's burdens, to care about one another. Hallelujah. And to learn together and to grow together in Jesus Christ's name. And everyone that's learning and growing and caring said, Amen and Amen and Amen. Hallelujah. We're going to receive the offering as we worship. and. Let me see what we're going to, see if I can operate this. If not, I've got an operator here. How many glad you came today? How many glad Jesus showed up? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. I'll let you uh, operate the uh, apparatus. Father, we bless this offering. We're going to bring it. It's over underneath that picture. If you would like to give today, we will thank you ahead of time for it. 
God bless you for being faithful to us. Some people have been blessed to be a blessing recently, and I thank you again so much for sharing that blessing with us. How many would do more if you had more to do with? I'm raising my hand, number one. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. I believe God will, will bless people who are channels for his blessing uh, to, to be a blessing. Praise the Lord. Amen. My God is awesome. I want us to sing that before we go home. Hallelujah. He's an awesome God today. Amen. Wave at me if you want to get beyond yourself today. Amen. Hallelujah. How many want to want the mind of Christ? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you, Heavenly Father. We love you today. We praise you today. While this is beginning, we didn't have communion today, but we had spiritual communion. We focused on the cross. We're going to have Thanksgiving communion the week, the Sunday before Thanksgiving, and then we're going to have Christmas communion the Sunday before Christmas to tie them in and take the holiday back from the world and make it a holy day to the followers of Jesus. Is that all right with you? Praise God. Let's give Him praise.